Sometimes the best way to relate is to be a part of the journey, the struggles, and the successes of others who've been in a similar situation. And that's precisely why we're so excited today to share heartwarming stories with Rochelle Denae Poth. Rochelle's authored over five books, including In Other Words, Quotes That Push Our Thinking. Her Thrive in EDU Consultancy serves AI and VR companies in education. And Rochelle is an attorney who also has a master's degree in instructional technology. She serves as a future-ready instructional coach and an edu gladiator core warrior and an affiliate of the Pushing Boundaries Consultancy. Her recent book, True Stories, collects stories from many educators about that one kid who made an impact on them. Congratulations for investing in the future of your family by joining us on the AI Parenting Podcast. We're a judgment-free community moving from screen time to quality time, and our motto is don't sedate, relate to create. I'm excited that we're going to be sharing stories about, one, I'm weird too, so how weird stories help us relate, two, connecting with tech, overcoming the barriers to engaging, and three, behind the behaviors, how to know the story behind the behaviors. So let's dive into it. Kind of an interesting story, like we, before we had talked um, a little bit about this notion of man, I can't share these things. Like, they're so weird. People see them. And I mean, like, you, you're like we, we can't connect like that. Come on. Um, maybe you can tell us about like your own kind of like this, there's this feeling of awkwardness, you know, when you when you share your story. It, it's funny, because I've had a lot of conversations with other educators or even students sometimes too. And I think that's where it stemmed from years ago. I mean, when I was a kid, of course, there were kids that would say, oh, you're weird, or that's weird, or, or something. And it made you feel really bad, right? Because you're just like, oh, because weird is bad. And I think for a long time, everybody has this idea that if something is weird, that equates it with being bad. And I, I didn't think about it for a long time until being in my classroom and noticing my students saying things like, oh, so-and-so is weird or that's weird or and I said everything's weird everybody's weird There's something weird about every single thing that's out there and that doesn't mean that it's a bad thing I said I'm weird I do different things I have different interests than you that's what makes each of us unique and uh, that's just on the student side now I've had other educators friends colleagues from my PLN, who have said different things at times too where they say oh yeah my students think I'm weird or my family whoever thinks that I'm weird uh, or they refer to somebody as being weird. And I said, well, that's that's okay, because that just it's something different or unique that makes us us. It's, it's our authentic selves. And the time, there was one time that, and I don't know, I can't recall if I had told you this or not, but it was about a year and a half ago, and I had uh, a colleague from my PLN reach out and just said, you know, I don't think that I'm cut out for teaching. I just... I love what I do. I get excited to go to school every single day, but I feel like I'm just too different. I'm just weird. I don't fit in. Mm. And I I felt so bad. I said, well, you know, and we talked about it a little bit and uh, through Voxer, actually, because Voxer is okay. great for those conversations whenever nobody, you know, your, your schedule isn't in sync. And I said, I asked a lot of questions and I said, first of all, thank you for confining in me. And I said, what you're feeling 
everybody else has felt at some point. I said, I felt the same thing two years ago. I said, the difference was I didn't tell anybody about it. I just kept it to myself. Like I was having challenges or I felt like I didn't fit in or anything. And that didn't do me any good. Now, of course, it's easy to look back and say, geez, I wish I would have said that to somebody. I said, but just the simple fact that you're telling me, it's okay. I said, because what I'm hearing from you is not that you don't like teaching. You, you don't. It's not that you're having challenges with behaviors or balancing all the tasks or anything. I said, you're just feeling that about yourself. I said, so what is making you feel that way? And she had some different examples of things. And I was like, I get that all the time. Like, that's a normal thing. Now, this person was newer to being in education. They had had a prior job before teaching. And so it's a, it's a different experience. So you might have 10 years where you've been working in the business world and your personality doesn't really change at all. And then you come into the classroom and you're still you, your genuine, authentic self, but it's just a shift a little bit. And so you know, we had a really good conversation. I had actually reached out to Dave Burgess uh, at the time. And I said, Hey, you know, I would really love to get a copy of teach like a pirate for my friend because she's really struggling right now. And, you know, could you, could I get that if you would sign it? And he did, and he sent it to her and, and it was just, it made a huge difference. And after, I guess maybe part of our conversation and then reading the book, like that helped, but it only, I mean, the only reason that it helped is it came down to she shared the story with me and she felt comfort in sharing that story. So you have to have two pieces. One, you have to have that courage to kind of say to somebody and show vulnerability and say, all right, this is what I'm experiencing. And then you also have to have somebody that you trust and that you have a relationship with that you feel okay enough to do and reach out and, uh, and confide that in them. And so luckily for her and luckily for me too because I learned just listening to those stories and wanting to help somebody because I've been there I mean we've all been there and going back to the weird thing I mean how many times anybody who's in education you've heard your students in your classroom calling each other weird or whatever and I just I jump right in and I just say I'm weird I, I do these things and it, it helps you feel a little bit more normal sometimes too to realize like oh yeah, other people do that or other people think that way or experience that. And we don't get to that point unless we're sharing those stories and experiences anyway. So I love that. Like, I feel like it, like a lot of people don't think it's okay. They don't think it's okay to share what we're struggling with. Being able to start by saying, yeah, I'm weird too, is just a way of making it normal for others. Right, totally um, agree. That's so such an important message that, you know, we are in this world where everything like it's obsessed with perfection and you know suddenly you think like oh like I, i'm gonna share something that's not perfection and people are not going to be okay with it like they're going to think that it's weird but it's actually the opposite like it's actually the perfection that pushes you you away from other people and it was the uh, the connection with other people and you sharing your struggles that made it feel like oh this person's actually authentic like this person i can connect with this person they they know my struggle and that's the mm -hmm. thing is like people don't, don't really, they're not really that concerned about how well like things are going for you. They, they actually want to relate to themselves, right? Of what it is that they're going through as well. And uh, when we share those struggles, we are doing exactly, exactly that. So right. um, that that's really helpful. But it, it kind of makes me um, curious about what, so when we look at those those anxieties, those fears, those struggles, right? Like, what are we what are we saying to ourselves like are we is there certain kind of messages that hold us back from sharing stories like that's what i'm trying to figure out like what 
what can we do to get over those barriers? Yeah, I think I think there's there's definitely something that holds us back, and I don't know if it's just prior experiences that that we had, whether it was a personal experience or something that we observed, and you just kind of feel like, yeah, that's going to happen to me, or I'm going to get this response that that holds us back from it, and it's and it's that it's the whole idea of vulnerability too, because you put yourself out there and you don't know how somebody's going to respond to whatever it is that you say or an action that you take, and I think it's just you really open yourself up, and I think for a lot of people, myself included, for a long time, it was just okay, I'm having these challenges or I'm not really sure what to do and I I feel like I'm better off just staying in my own space and not involving anybody else in it and working out on my own because I don't know how they're going to respond to that. And that's not really easier to say now than it was to realize back then. But that is not something that as an educator that we need to do. We need to embrace like taking those risks and asking for help because just even in our classrooms, we see all the time students and that was a kind of a wake-up call for me too is that students would say I don't want to answer I'm going to get it wrong or somebody's going to laugh at me and there are all of these different reasons why they didn't want to respond or participate in class and for a while I could see that look on their face because I'd experienced that same feeling where I'm just like you know the nerves take over and I you know if I say something and it's wrong I'm going to be embarrassed or people might laugh at me or whatever any of those things could be. And so I would kind of back off a little bit. But then after my own experiences of being in those uncomfortable positions, I was better prepared to kind of work with students to say, hey, you know what, do you have any idea how many mistakes I make every single day? Like there is learning in mistakes and it's okay. I mean, laugh at yourself, whatever, you know, we're all in this in this whole ongoing journey of learning here. So just have to go with it. And I said, if you're wrong, so what? I, I said, do you think I, I never make mistakes in, and I'll name a couple of things. And I think the perceptions from students looking at teachers is that educators don't make mistakes, but we do. We do. We're human. We make a lot of mistakes. And I love the, this best, so much. the best thing we could do is to just like, model that, share that and, you know, embrace it. But, um, it takes time and it's not something, you know, people can look at other educators or anybody in any profession and see, you know, how they are on a daily basis. Like, Oh, they have this job or they've accomplished this thing, or they just won this award or they've gotten this recognition, but you don't always know the story behind it. You don't know what the struggles that were involved. You don't know how long it took. You don't know. And there's so much that you don't know. You the, just the, tip of the iceberg is yes, all you're seeing, right? <laughs> it's the iceberg. I was thinking the iceberg image and that is so often shared and it's true. Like you don't know about all of that. And so sometimes you see that somebody had these great successes and you don't realize that it took them 9,000 tries to get to that one point. All you see is that one point exactly. until oh, those I love this people so much, share Michelle. that. <laughs> You know, uh, to me, uh, it reminds me of when I was just talking about um, tech with with other educators as well. And the same thing applies for parents as well. There's this feeling that they got to know everything, right? Because like they, they've gone from being these experts of pedagogy, experts in teaching and the material and the content um, to learners of the technology, right? Like it, it's like such a humbling thing when it comes to like, oh, how do I how do I do um you know, this thing with technology that I don't really understand. And so, and in, it's often the case that maybe some of the students in your own class or maybe your own kids like know, know it better than you do, 
and you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm so out of place right now. Like, how could I ask anybody about questions about computer stuff? Like, I would see so, seem so dumb. I can't do this right now. But it's also like, um, it, it wasn't helping to connect with other people. Just the fact that you had a lot of knowledge didn't mean that they were going to gain that knowledge um, or that they would be motivated to gain that knowledge. And then in the same way, it's like when you did the opposite and you said, like, I, I don't actually know all this stuff either. Like, you know, I... I don't want to go claim that like I'm the world expert on something like AI. I want to say that I'm learning with you guys as well, because it's in those struggles, like things that I don't know uh, that I'm learning that I want to share with you that becomes way more authentic. So I love that. <laughs> oh my goodness. We've got a lot of uh, stuff in the chat uh, from I George. Know. He says, thank you. So love it. Um, he also asks, uh, people do not realize all the failures and years before uh, someone sees success. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I think that <laughs> everybody, it, it seems like everybody seems like the overnight success, right? Um, I wish. And, but it's never, it's never overnight. Like there's always that, there's always that kind of moving from there. He says, ah, so that's, that's what I love about your body of work. Uh, it's ever evolving and it's so impactful to our profession. Great job. <laughs> Thanks, George. Now that we've talked, like, just as a recap, it feels like it was that sharing of the struggles that really made it easy for us to connect uh, with others. And it, it was like this level of, mm, like, it, I, I described it as like vulnerability, like, you know, people are connecting through vulnerability. Um, and when you're not willing to be vulnerable, it's actually very hard to connect with other people and people don't learn like with people that they don't like. And so <laughs> this this notion that you they've got to like you, you know, they, they kind of have to connect with you before they're really going to start learning from you. And it, it does seem like, how do I do this? Like, I'm so overwhelmed. You know, there's so many things going on. Um, and especially with our world of tech, which kind of leads into the, the next question, like, you know, we see tech as this massive distraction, um, but that's not always the case. Like sometimes we can use tech in order to connect with other people. We can use tech in order to grow our connection with others. And I think that, you know, that might be a good way of uh, segueing into the, the next uh, portion is uh, like, Rochelle, like, what would you suggest? Are there any suggestions for using like tech to get into their interests and get to like maybe know them a little bit better. Um, what would you have to say in that area? Yeah, it's it, when I think about, gosh, again, going back to the beginning of my teaching career and then moving forward a little bit, the first days of school, for example, I was always diving into here's the rules, here's what to expect. All right, let's get started. And then I got away from that and started to do some icebreakers and getting to know students. And uh, and I know very well, just because I spent so many years as a student, whenever you do things like, say, icebreakers, or even in as adults, as professional development, you go to a conference or something like that. I, I just find it so interesting how nervous I would get in speaking in front of my peers. And that was not something that I even considered with my students, because they would ask 
can we just do this presentation just with you or in our seats and nobody else pays attention? And I said, but you're speaking in front of your classmates. And that was kind of a wake up call to me to realize like, one, I need to put myself out there more and share my story, who I am, connect with other educators, but I needed to set up ways for students to build relationships with their classmates and also for me to get to know them. But that didn't necessarily mean that it would happen overnight or in-person one-on-one conversations because people are shy. People aren't necessarily comfortable speaking, sharing with their teachers or with other classmates. And so one of the things that I really value about all of the different options we have out there for looking at digital technology or digital tools and ed tech is that especially in this past year where so many schools started not in person and you're trying to figure out how do we get to form this kind of community with our students, with them, with each other, with our students and their families and us together. And so leveraging some of these tools. And so just even having a quick space, like I have had students who in the past we would use before Flipgrid, we were using something called Recap, which is now it's from Swivel. And so they have synth, but I had students who really did not want to share anything about themselves in class, in person, but they had no problem recording a video. And then if I played the video in class in front of their classmates, which was basically an about me, kind of an introduction. And I said, but your, your video is there playing. And they said, yeah, but I was able to do it at home where I was comfortable, nobody around. If I made mistakes, I could record it again. And then once I knew that I was comfortable with the final product, it didn't matter who you showed it to because I was confident and I felt good about what I had presented in that. And so creating those spaces, like using some of the tools where, and maybe it's not speaking, it might just be having the conversation, messaging. Uh, It doesn't always have to be like the video because some people don't like to be on camera, as we know, right? (laughs) I I can't tell you how many ceiling fans I was teaching in class this year just because that's (laughs) ceiling fans and window blinds because they didn't want to show their face. So it's nice that we have so many different tools that are out there that enable us to communicate and collaborate regardless of where we actually are and in a way that meets our specific interests, needs, and comfort levels too. I love that, Rochelle, because I, I do feel that something like recording a video of yourself um, and being able to delete it and just go like, you know what, I want to try again. I, I want to give myself more opportunities. This is a great way of getting comfortable. And I feel like more and more because there is so much stuff out there. Like if, you, if you're if you not in front, like if you're not comfortable in front of a camera, there's a lot of things that are a lot harder for you. Uh, doing job interviews becomes really awkward. You know, having meetings with other people, um, even like uh, doing like a business transaction of any sort. Like these are all things that if you can feel more comfortable or if you can train yourself to feel more comfortable, it, this will help you in the long term. Not just about you being becoming a celebrity or anything. It's about like just the basic communication. This is how we talk to each other. And as much as possible, like we're just trying to have like as close to a face to face, you're going to have to talk to people face to face eventually. And you can't hide behind the webcam that's pointing to the ceiling (laughs) all the time. So I I love that. Um, So you're you're right on the like you're right on the money here. And I, I love how you're explaining that. And so you're saying that for some people, it's like, it's their shy, right? Like, or they, 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 they feel about themselves. And I, I'm kind of going back to the previous question, like, right. you know, sometimes people have these anxieties in the same way that they have anxieties of sharing their stories. Um, like, what what is it that gets people, uh, what have you found that kind of gets people maybe out of their shell or gets people more comfortable with going, yeah, okay, I'm okay with sharing with other people at this time? 
Yeah, sometimes it just, it has been where they've been able to kind of work with a partner, for example, and have somebody there that's with them and they have a conversation or they work on something together and then that, that becomes something that they share and just slowly building that comfort. Um, also, just asking students, I'll use a form or a survey or something at the beginning of the year and ask them what their preferences are and offer some different options and choices for them and just to get to know them and to help them to kind of build up that confidence, especially in teaching Spanish. Students need to feel comfortable speaking in front of their classmates. And so I want to kind of structure as much as I can having them build up their skills like, okay, fine, we're going to write. Okay, you don't have to have the camera on. Okay, let's try just the audio, for example, and then build up progressively over time until they really are comfortable. Oh, okay, so you're talking about like providing um, multiple ways or multiple opportunities um, right. to practice like a new language, for example. Yes, yeah. It's just, it, it has worked in my classroom and I've seen the students build their confidence and become more comfortable, which even though like, let's say they're using a video that they're recording at home and then being played in the classroom, I've seen them become more comfortable in the classroom because they had that kind of comfort level already built in because they knew that the video was good to go for them. And so when their voice and their video were being shown and then the conversations that followed after that, they started to build those relationships and feel more comfortable in the classroom. And so it definitely has made it difference oh okay so that's different so you were saying like it's it's the like in a video game like there's that level one and getting past level one like just saying like hey i've got a video pre-recorded of me that i'm going to share with everyone that's a way of getting people connected and, and getting them comfortable to say like okay then i want to do a follow-up i have a question you're more willing to answer that in front of the whole class for example Right, right, and that and that has worked. Hmm. Um, that kind of relates to um, Marianne's uh, request. She's uh, asking, is she dreaded having to do a book report in front of um, her classmates? So, uh, I wondered whether or not, you know, it's in the same way, like this this awkwardness of being in front of the, the whole class. Um, and I remember talking about this too when it came to tech. It was it was always about the simple things that you could do. Um, and if it was like a large touchscreen, I remember like simple task of like you, you drag an object from outside the classroom to inside the classroom, just that simple like drag and drop made it so that you feel more comfortable being in front of the class and using something like an interactive touchscreen, just because people are so like, they're so hesitant when it comes to technology. And if their first try is going to be a negative one, um, they're not even going to, to try it. And so right. you kind of have to get over like step number one, level number one. They haven't, they haven't got past. Yeah. And I remember when I brought, I, I had gotten a smart board in my classroom. My students were a little bit nervous about going up and using it at first, just because it meant they had to get out of their seat and walk to the front of the room. And I know that in the same situation in a professional development session, I didn't want to go up and use the, the smart board in front of my peers in that meeting. And that's, again, when I realized that I needed to set up some things in my classroom to help students become more confident, but I also need to put myself out there and do the exact same thing as well. You know, we, we see all these things inside the classroom and we kind of make a conclusion, like this person's not ready or they're, they're not participating in class, for example. What are the things that we can do, um, like 
to understand, and, and this kind of relates to the next uh, section. And of course, if you guys have any questions, like we are here to answer them. I've seen a few of them, so uh, I'm glad to have the interaction today. Um, one is about, oops, not that one. <laughs> uh, it's behind the behavior, right? So the sometimes there's this story behind all these behaviors uh, that we see and, and we're, yeah, like that we're experiencing, we're struggling with, um, you know, that we, we see either at home or we see uh, in, in an educational setting. And I think you've done some work to kind of get behind them, like it, it, to understand their story. Can you tell me a little bit about like, what does this process look like? How do we get to that point, Rochelle? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I did want to say one thing, the the book report, that was my mom. I remember having mm. to do book reports in front of classmates too, although it, it's interesting. Uh, in 10th grade, I think I had a public speaking course and I was so afraid of it. But then I just, I loved it because I got to speak about what I was interested in. And so, mm. but uh, back to your question, getting to know the students, you know, I've had some students over the years and there were, we, we, this happens to all of us. We find out about students that may be new to our school, new to our classes, and we have information or teachers share information about them. And you have this idea about who they are. And I had some experiences over the past probably eight or 10 years where I had some students coming in. And of course, I was a little bit nervous about what to expect. And I feel like now that I can look back and I had one big experience where I, I really for the, you know, I finally saw the student and not the behavior is what I had referred to it as, is I was kind of preparing each day in a sense that I had that student class based on what I knew about their behaviors and uh, the experiences that they had in classes before mine. And that wasn't something that I, I should have been doing, nor that I'm proud of now, but that was just part of the process. And that was like the norm, I guess you could say every single year. And then I had an experience a couple of years ago where same thing, the student, I knew about and I would hear and I'm like, oh, how, how's this going to go? You know, you're not, we're always nervous as teachers because it, in our classrooms, we never know what could happen at any given minute, right? We have to be prepared for everything. We have to be flexible, especially this year with like all the things and technology, you name it. it yeah, no kidding. Nothing <laughs> is ever perfect. But the, uh, but the one day I just had a chance to actually sit and work with the student one-on-one. -on -one. And I remember it was on a Friday after that class period was over. I just, I didn't really know how I felt. It was a, it was an interesting feeling. And I remember talking to one of my friends and saying, you know, I don't know what just happened, but I feel like I finally saw and got to know this student. And I didn't remember any of the other stuff or information or anything else like I got I feel like I really connected with who this student actually is or what their interests are potentially and uh, that from that day on I kept trying to keep that focus it's like see the student not the behavior and when there is a behavior why is there that behavior like what is the reason what's happening getting to know the student and that is something that in a book uh, that I'll have coming out later this year, I actually was reading, proofing some of it this morning. And it was a story that somebody else had shared where very similar to mine, they were prepared based on everything that they had learned about a particular student. But it wasn't until 
they sat down and they had this one-on-one conversation. They really got to know the student and they figured out why some of the behaviors were happening or, you know, what the life was like for this person. And that made a big difference. And so when I say, you know, see the student, not the behavior, sometimes that's hard because like over all these years of teaching, I've had, I've had a lot of really interesting things happen in my classroom and I don't tend to yell a lot. And sometimes students will say, Oh, we heard Miss Pofi yelled. And I say, really? Like I can count like on both hands and all the years I've been here, the times that I've really yelled and I, and I don't, I don't like it. It's I so don't good all the time. And then there's that one moment and then you're, yeah. you're always the yelling person, right? Like you, there is no going back. Like yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, I experienced the same thing with my kids as well. It's like, you know, like nine times out of 10, you are so great, but they don't remember any of those. They remember the one time that you yelled. It's like, yeah. And I just, I, I, I don't, I don't like it, but I've learned that I really, when something happens, like initially before it was like, I, I would react. It was a disciplinary action. You know, what was the thing that I had to do because this is what happened. And now I'm more about, let's talk about it. And there were other times I had a student do something with digital citizenship, big deal, right? We're using a tool like Nearpod, where it's not like back in the day where you had the etch a, yeah, etch a sketch and you could write, you could shake and it would erase. Like students have the phones yeah. in their hands and if they're writing on, they're using a tool like Nearpod and you have it on your screen, it's right there. And, and it was a lesson student. And the student said, I guess I'm going to have a couple days detention. And I said, well, why, why do you think that? And they said, well, because that's what always happens. And I went, I think I'd kind of just rather have a conversation with you. And when the word came out of my mouth, I, I was surprised at myself because part of me was like, but wait, maybe I have to give detention because of what happened. But then I thought, you know, I was kind of to blame too, because I didn't give them enough instruction. I, I just figured you have the phone, you know what's going to happen whenever you write something on your phone. But just because they have the technology doesn't mean that they necessarily know the impact of it or where it's going to go. And so I took full ownership in that as well. And I said, I would rather have a conversation with you about why that happened and what we should do. And I was shocked at myself. And I know this student was equally is shocked, but it was a lesson to be learned. And, and it surprised me because I, I didn't, you know, initially I want to react like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this just happened. But then I thought, yeah, well, what happened? Because I didn't prepare the students enough like I should have. And so what do I need to change about myself? And what lessons do I need to help this student learn because of, you know, whatever just transpired in our class? And uh, so that was all part of the same year of kind of changing over to seeing the student and not the behavior but it's not easy because there are a lot of different behaviors that are out there that we experience and um yeah i don't know that's <laughs> yeah i love this because like it, it asks a question and and i think that this is the this is the the key of it is what is it that we we need to to change about ourselves like Internally, it, it's kind of saying we're not perfect. We we've made mistakes, and in fact, like there are times where we are not proud of what we've done, um, and I, I'm guilty of that 100%. Like there there are many times where you know maybe I was short, maybe I didn't respond the way that would have been ideal in this situation. Like for me, it's it's kind of like you know do as I say, not as I do, and and 
the I do like that that part is wrong. Like it, it's like I've I've actually done something that I I didn't want to do, or um, in if I was thinking rationally, like I wouldn't have done it that way. So so that totally makes sense to me. And I I guess the the question I have is like how do you how do you like dig yourself out of that? You know, because sometimes you feel like oh man, I, I've like I've gone so deep. You know, and and yeah, I can understand like for. On one case, like if you had a new uh, set of students next year, you could just say like, oh, okay, well, like that's going to happen in, in a in a coming year. Like I'll do things differently. I'll start again. But there isn't like a starting again when it comes to your kids and your family. And so, I mean, even if you did it, like let's say some, sometime early in the semester, I mean, you still have the whole semester with them. So do you have any suggestions for like, what do people do when you kind of made that that mistake? You, you've, you've done those things. Like how do we how do we use that as an opportunity to go, like, yeah, I, I've done things that maybe I'm not always proud of, and that's okay, right? Like, you, you've done the same. You'll you'll run into this situation, too, um, when you're you're older, and, and maybe you've already done, you've experienced this personally yourself. The question is, okay, but what are you doing about it? <laughs> right. right? Like, how, what did you do? A- like, it almost didn't matter what you actually did. It was like, what did you do afterwards? Um, that kind of models the behavior of what you would like to see. Uh, maybe you can speak to that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you you just said it exactly like I would say it too. It's it's okay. what is it that you do next that makes the difference? Like, and for me, there were times where, and the big thing too is like taking ownership of it as well. And there were times where, just and I've written about it or talked about it, I don't I don't know which or both at this point. And I I've had some things happen in my classroom where. There was a behavior and I reacted and I, I I did not really, I was not happy with how I reacted. I didn't feel very good about it and it bothered me so much the rest of the night to the next day. And and that's when I, I sat down with, if it was a student or if it was the whole class and I just said, look, you know, I did not handle this the way that I should have. Um, and this is the reason. And in a couple of cases, like in my most recent book, I talk about one, one thing that happened a couple of years ago and... Um, you know, at the time, there were some other things going on that I was experiencing, and that's not to to be made as an excuse, but it helped me to see why I reacted to that. And then I thought, okay, now I need to fix this. Like, what do I need to do to make this right? Because my reaction didn't just have an impact or didn't affect just the one student. Anybody else who's in that same space is also impacted by that. And so, you know, t- taking ownership of it, having the conversation and then working to build and continue to build the, the, the relationships and being vulnerable enough to say, yeah, you know, I was wrong or this is why I was wrong. And this is what I'm doing to change that. And that, you know, sometimes we're fortunate in education that we do if a, and I don't know how students would feel about this sometimes too, but you know, we have them like for me, I'm the only Spanish teacher. So if they, if they take the steam course with me in eighth grade, and then if they take four years of Spanish, there are some students that I've had for five and in some cases, six years, if they started language even earlier. And so we have, I mean, I love that because I get to see their growth over time, but I also get to see my growth over time. But if you do make those mistakes, we tend to know that we have opportunities to kind of learn from them. And that's an important lesson for us, but it's also an important lesson for students too, about taking ownership, about the power of forgiveness, of building those relationships. And it's not always going to be easy um, that even because we're adults doesn't mean that we don't make mistakes so that we always know what we're doing. I mean, I'm the first to say, like, I'm not an expert. I make tons of mistakes every single day. 
And luckily, over the years, I, I've had opportunities where I've been able to go back and have these conversations with students or I've had students come back and say, you know, remember when I was in 10th grade and I did that? And I'm like, yeah, I remember. And, and we're talking, I mean, years later and they say, oh, I'm so sorry. I said, look, you were, you're a 10th grader, you know, I said, and, and I didn't necessarily react the best way either. I mean, we're all just, we're learning every single day. We're learning as we go. And it doesn't matter how long you've been teaching. I mean, we are always going to encounter challenges or we'll make mistakes or we could have done something differently and it might've led to a better outcome, but that's just, that's just the way it is. And it's like you said earlier, it's, you know, what do you do with what you've learned? And if you've made a mistake or if you think, oh yeah, you know, I wish I would have done something differently. Okay. Now that you know that, you know, the, the quote, I love quotes. When we know better, we do better. And I didn't quote it exactly the way it is, but my Angelou, that's the quote. So for a long time, I really didn't know better, but now that I know better, I've been very intentional about trying to do better and sharing like, this is what I did. Don't do the same thing that I did. Um, make mistakes and learn from them. But I think it's just being honest and taking ownership and working at it every single day uh, to continue to improve is the best that we can do. I love that quote. Like when we know better, we do better. And, right. you know, it, like it's it's building a culture of like celebrating failures essentially okay. right like it, it right. it's it's saying that you know how are you going to know better like you you start off like who who trains you on this stuff like oh this is the way that you should behave around young people <laughs> it's like it's not like you you grew up and oh by the way there's like a there's like a working with young people um you know like course that you have to take before you're allowed no <laughs> that's not how things work right like You've got to build this this culture of like celebrating failures, and I think this is why the the stories are so powerful for me. And I'd I'd love to to get like some of your examples, if you if you don't mind sharing some of those because they're so powerful. Like I want to make sure that we have some time for, for for stories. Like what are those examples of like when we know better, we do we do better um, that you can share with us? Like it could be from your book, it could be from your own experience. What are the ones that are really impactful for you? Yeah, I, I mean, just for me. When I think back to, well, all the years that I've been teaching, there are fake interactions that I've had, you know, that I, like I said, I have not been that many where I would say that I, like, I've lost it, but I have some that really taught me a good lesson. And one time, and I wrote about this too, is I had a student, we had a, a very large study hall. I think there were 90 some students in the study hall, most of which were seventh, eighth graders, three teachers trying to manage it. You know, it, it, there wasn't a lot of studying going on because they wanted to be social. And it just, there, there was, I don't even know what brought it on, but it ended up a, a screaming match between me and a student and the student stormed out and I was going after the student, like, okay, go to the office. And I'm pretty sure that's where they were going anyway. And it was towards the end of the year. And, uh, I just remember like how awful I felt like, oh, you know, and, and it wasn't just me and that student. I mean, we're in a room of like 100 people who all witnessed and experienced that. And I thought, oh my gosh, like how many, like, you forget who's in the room, you forget who's observing. And luckily, I guess, or you could say unluckily, it just depends. Uh, it was the end of the school year. And then the next year, 
uh, which is only a few months later, I had the same student in the first year of Spanish. And we really, we uh, hadn't spoken. Like there wasn't a period of time because <laughs> that was a while ago. That was before now where, you know, I would take the ownership and I would have those conversations. And so yeah. it was kind of like, just like under the rug a little bit. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, how was this going to go in this class? And I remember walking past the desk and the student said, I'm sorry about study hall. And I was like, wait, what? And you know, that had been two and a half, three months at that point prior to it. And that was just like the start of the conversation. And that goes back about 10 years ago now. And I, I have, I'm lucky I get to see this student almost every year at different uh, school kind of community events. And it just, it's a reminder to me to always think about how I'm going to react to something and like, what's the behavior, which goes back to seeing the student, not the behavior. And so yeah. that is one of my favorite stories because it was, it was pretty heated and everybody, I mean, I heard about it from other students and of <laughs> course, you know, it doesn't take long for it to go through the school, especially in a small school to say, Oh, we heard that you lost it in the cafeteria. And, and, uh, it ends up being like a telephone game because the messages is always, it's always totally changed around. So the way that it actually happened compared to what the end story is, is never the same. No, no. It, like it Not, turns into the, its, its own beast and it, it, it yeah. develops a life of its own. Uh, I can yeah. totally see that. Totally. Um, Rich, like, uh, I love this because, uh, you know, it, it was this kind of, yeah, like I, I recognize this happened and I, I did something about it. And it, 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 there's that kind of wrap up at the end, which I thought was really powerful. Like, I think it's the, it's like this power in forgiveness. Like it is one thing to say that, you know, you've done something and then you've walked away from it. Right. Like, or, you know, you know what, like it, it was in the past, you know, I'm, and, and so what happened was there never was any closure on the initial incident. Right. right? And it wasn't until a little bit later when you, you, you met them, um, you're thinking like, oh, now I have to deal with this. But actually, it's like, this is really good for you. It's really good for the other person too to go like, look, that was me, right? And yeah, I made a mistake here. And and I'm really sorry about what happened. And you're right. Like, you know, I, I shouldn't have been doing it in that way. Or, you know, maybe the other person comes back and says like, yeah, like it wasn't right for me to yell uh, at that point. And it... I don't know how to describe it. Like there's a there's a peace, you know, you get when you you forgive another person. You kind of say like, "Wow, you know, like I used to have like this this stuff like all like inside and then I you know, we we talked to each other and we forgave each other and wow, right. like I feel different now." <laughs> yeah. I feel yeah. like, you know, wow, this great burden has been lifted <laughs> off of my shoulders. I'm not I'm not constantly thinking about this stuff anymore. I don't need to because I know yeah. that the other person feels okay with it. You know, they feel like, yeah, they know that this thing happened, but they're, and you know, they're, they've forgiven me and they've, they've moved on. So right. uh, it's powerful. It's powerful. <laughs> In this world obsessed with perfection, authenticity is a rare thing that so many people are searching for and sharing vulnerable stories, stories where you're weird too, is so valuable in connecting with others. And it's about using the technology to get people out of their shells and really understanding what is that story behind the behaviors. I am so thrilled that Rochelle was able to share this information during the AI Parenting Podcast today. And I want to encourage you, if you want to learn more about parenting in a world of AI, 
go to AIparenting.live and you'll be able to find our mail list to become a AI Parenting Insider. In addition, you can go and check out Rochelle's books on Amazon, and I also have them as a blog post on the AIparenting.live website. Join us next week where we dive deep into the best kept secret for attention on the internet, video funnels. We'll show you how to do video search engine optimization. We'll also show you about the 60 second reel and how it can be used to turn attention into leads for your movement or for your business. Thank you. We will see you next time.